pre-dropped here, no doubt. Yeah, pre-dropped. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. It made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hello, folks. Welcome to the first August episode of the Drop Zone. This is Sean Zock. Joined, as always, by Dylan DeChair. Dylan, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I am uh, happily settled in my home. Unlike, Sean, the limbo that's happening at the Wyndham Championship right now, where everyone is in limbo. We've got players tied for the lead, two of them right now. We've got Justin Thomas's season hanging in the balance. There's a weather delay. But, you know, the drop zone does not do weather delays. So here we are. How are you? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm good. Ultimately, the the winner and loser or runner-up, whatever, of this tournament is not going to impact too many talking points for our podcast. So we're pressing record. We're letting it rip. And we're going to dive into... Just a bunch of kind of like lingering. And we're gonna bounce topics. around a little bit, cause why not? Yeah, think, yeah, cause um, well, it's playoff season. Um, and before we get to all that, Dylan, we have a sponsor this week. It is Ocean City, Maryland, Dylan. Oh, rise with the tide and play like a pro in Ocean City, Maryland. Choose from 17 world-renowned courses designed by golf legends like Jack Nicklaus. Arthur Hills and Gary Player swing through sweeping vistas at Eagles Landing, savor the stunning bay views of Lighthouse Sound, or see for yourself why Ocean City Golf Club is considered one of the Mid-Atlantic's finest fairways. Whether you're sneaking in a quick round on a family vacation or going all in on a golf getaway, that'd be more my speed, Ocean City, Maryland is a place to be where you don't have to be a legend to play like one. To learn more, visit ococean.com. That's ococean.com to learn more. Dylan, have you ever been to Maryland? I've been to Maryland. I've been to all 50 states. I've been to Ocean City. I've poked my head out there. I've not played golf in Ocean City, but it's really cool. It's like out on this little spit. It's just a really, really narrow island, basically, that runs north to south, and there's a... Uh, Water everywhere. I mean, it's aptly named. I would say as far as branding goes, Ocean City, that sounds like a place I'd like to spend some time. Absolutely. Uh, I have also not been to Ocean City, but I was, I'm always curious when, when people say it's out on a little spit. Yeah. I know that means it's out like it's like a little mini peninsula or something. Yeah. That's a good question, what spit really means. It sort of seems like spit means whatever you want it to mean. But no, it's it's like... You know, I mean, a, a fancy man like yourself might be more familiar with like Palm Beach, how that just sits out on a, mm. essentially an island and there's an intercoastal. This is sort of similar to that. All right. Well, we've cracked the code on spits, peninsulas, and the golf courses you can play when you go to them. But Dylan, uh, as you said earlier, not cracked is the code of Justin Thomas's uh, next month. Uh, JT is currently 71st in the FedEx Cup. There are like a handful of golf holes to be played in this tournament, and he needs someone to come back to him because uh, if you're not top 70, then you're not moving on. And so he needs what? He needs Steven Yeager, Michael Kim, or Adam Svensson to back up to allow JT into the top 10. He knew he needed a top 10. 
goes out and shoots 68 today. I will say, though, Dylan, this has been a storyline that has kind of carried us through the really uh, low uh, interest time between the FedEx Cup playoffs and the British Open. This happened last year, too. You had a bunch of guys. They take... Uh, they take vacations kind of during this late July, early August stretch because they're not that interested in racking up points. Um, but JT's pursuit of a couple different things was super entertaining. His pursuit of the FedEx Cup playoffs, and uh, as a result of that, his pursuit of like a captain's pick into the Ryder Cup. Um, he, like whether or not someone comes back to him and allows him to make it to next week in Memphis, the question now kind of hangs in the air. Like, has he done enough? He missed the cut at the British Open. He missed the cut at uh, the 3M Open. And he, you know, he didn't really contend this week, but he beat 140 professionals. Like, to Zach Johnson, is that enough? The, those kind of questions, the the bogey he made on 16 today, are all going to, like, really nag at JT, um, whether or not he plays next week. But uh, I, I got a feeling he just hasn't done enough. That's kind of where it it kind of levels out for me. Um, but do you feel like he has? My instinct is no. I mean, we, we did a little rundown last week of all the players that could take his spot. And my sense is that someone is going to go out there and grab it in the next couple weeks mm-hmm. um, between Memphis and uh, the BMW. Someone is going to play well. That's in that in-between zone, whether it's, um, uh, I don't know, like Tony Finau jumps to mind. Like, what if he finishes top five each of the next two weeks? Are you suddenly going to say, well, he's hot. Um, JT was impressive this week. Like, it's one of those situations where the microscope is very much on him, so you see a lot more golf shots than you normally would. But after a fine, kind of soggy opening round 70, he played great the rest of the week. He shot, what, five under the second round? 65, Mm -hmm. uh, 66 third round, and then 68 on Sunday, which was just a really clean card until 16. So he he had one birdie and the rest pars through 14, made a sweet eagle on 15, and then just shorts this uh, nine iron, hits the front of the green on 16, rolls back off the front, uh, hits a pretty uninspired chip which is kind of sad that he was undone by a chip. I don't know if he was sitting in a divot or just outside a divot, but either way, he led the field in, in chipping this week, but that was not a great one. Made bogey. What happened on 18? Because I missed it. I stepped out, but it's I, I saw oh. some clips are circling around. Yeah, I mean, he launched his tee shot into the trees left, which is like, oh, damn, that's kind of how your season's gone. Like, you've been all over the place with driver, and it's, it's not helped you as much as it's hurt you. <clears throat> and... He contorts his body uh, from the pine straw to hit this ropey hook and, you know, gets through madness. He's sprinting out to the fairway to, to see if you can get a look at it. It was a pretty cool highlight. Um, comes up short of the green and then gets as close to chipping in as you can really get without doing it, which was tough. He falls backward, like, in the fairway, like, hands on his head, like, can't believe that this didn't go in it. Two hopped kissed the flagstick, kissed the edge of the hole, and then like rolled out to six or seven inches. And if that drops, he's in, <laughs> uh, which is nuts. If it, and it, since it didn't drop, he might not be in. And so it, 
I guess what I said earlier about it being an entertaining storyline is it came to a head on the final hole of the regular season for him, potentially. Um, and this is just a boring time of year. And to have like a true elite player going through some kind of weird, uh, just a weird time, weird finishes, weird things going on in his golf game, in his head. Uh, that's been super entertaining for the past few weeks. And so, like, even if he comes up short, I think kind of kudos to him for for going about it in the most aggressive way possible, for trying to chip in on 18, for trying to rope hook it from the trees on uh, left of the fairway, for flying back from Liverpool to Minneapolis to play the 3M Open, for committing to the Wyndham Championship. Like, he's he basically saw everything as an opportunity rather than, damn, I'm getting worn down. Like, yeah. let's, let's throw in the f- – let's wave the flag here. That's a great point. Throw in the towel. Yeah, no, I liked his, I liked his uh, attitude about everything. And, and the other thing is that – well, there, have, there are a couple high-profile exceptions to this, but he's probably been playing better than you would think. And the high-profile exceptions are just a couple really putrid rounds at major championships at the uh, the Open and the U.S. Mm. Open. But besides that, like if you look at the you know strokes gained numbers and stuff like that, he's clearly one of the top seventy golfers on the PGA Tour. It's just that the FedEx Cup overvalues top finishes, or I guess it's up to you if you think they overvalue them or not relative to strokes gained numbers. They uh, emphasize top finishes, and JT just does not have all that many of those. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good sign. Obviously, this is not a a signature field, but, you know, to show some life under the microscope, it's good stuff. Well, I think it is an endorsement of what this new system the entertainment factor was an endorsement of what the new system will be, which is this pursuit of top 70 you know, it, it brought very important players like Adam Scott and Shane Lowry down to North Carolina this week. Like <clears throat> there is there's going to be year over year, if the schedule stays the same, this pursuit of being top fifty and also top seventy, because top seventy gets you into the playoffs. And if you're seventy first, if you're eighty first, like it's just not um a place of comfort. And so years past it's been, oh, if I'm just, you know, if I'm entering the fi- final week of the year and I'm ranked a hundredth. I'm good. Right. I'm in the playoffs. I've got my card locked up. Things are going to get the, kind of weird. The gravy train. Yeah. But like now, if you're ranked 100th, you're a little worried. You're like, I have to play those fall events to make sure I stay top 125. You come into this week 100th, and you're like, I probably need to finish in the top three to get into the playoffs. Like it just adds another layer to this FedEx Cup pursuit that people might do it differently next year. Guys who skip the 3M Open knowing they'd have North Carolina, it's this, uh, you know, they might have regrets. The FedEx Cup points are doled out. Uh, You don't lose them. Like, once you got them, no one takes them away for bad play. So you just try to rack them up. You try to add, add, add to your total every time you play, and the only way you can do that is by playing, playing, playing. So I thought it was just kind of... The entertainment factor, even if this is the nerdiest of the nerdy stuff, is um, an endorsement of what the kind of future you're in or you're out playoff system. Because, again, top 50 and top 70, they lock up everything that they want to do next year, and that's where the big money is going to be. So that's kind of the, the hidden factor here is, like, 
yeah, you can make a good living still being 100th in the world, but you can make a fantastic living being 45th in the world. Two things on this. One, let's talk about the actual um, implications for Justin Thomas's 2024 season because I don't think there will be many. I think that there are a few sponsored spots available in each of these uh, signature events, and I think that he will be very likely a recipient of those sponsor spots. If he can keep himself in the top 30 in the world, then that will also get him in those uh, events. So it's not like we're suddenly not going to see JT in there. But as a result, you know, there is a, a ripple effect here of someone else won't get those sponsor exemptions if if uh, he is getting one of them. So a little bit funky, but I think the immediate short-term effect, if he doesn't make it, that means he won't get another chance to show off his stuff for Captain Zach Johnson. And as a result, we're going to be looking for other guys who could step up, which brings me, Sean, to the question of whether Bryson DeChambeau's 58 today does anything to sway you in terms of his Ryder Cup positioning? Uh, no. That said, <laughs> I don't know what Bryson's relationship with Zach Johnson is. And I think that somehow matters, oddly. Um, I, I don't know if we should, like, add any fuel to this fire because this is the first live golf event that Bryson has won. This is the first time he's played, like, really, really well. But... He put on a, like a wicked display of the type of golf that we used to see from him this weekend. Shot nine under on Saturday, 12 under on Sunday, 58, lowest round in live golf history. Uh, I think probably the lowest round of Bryson's career. Um, and like, just you remember how spellbound we were after winged foot? And you remember how like basically everyone's response is – this guy is going to do this. He's going to make it look easy to go super low. He's going to do he's going to bomb his way around Augusta National. He's going to win the Masters by 5. Uh, now, like that obviously fizzled. Um, he got fat, he got big, he got muscular and that wasn't great for his health necessarily or his golf game. But he seems to be kind of back. He's been ascending throughout most of this summer, hasn't been winning, but this kind of feels like you know, okay, he could be peaking. Now, but what does that look like? If you beat the entire live golf field by six, that feels like something. Um, and if you do it again next week at Trump Bedminster, that feels like a big something. Um, I, I think it comes down entirely to like what relationship he would have with Zach Johnson. And um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, but something to talk about, something to think about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess if he goes and does it again, not 58, but if he goes and wins next week, it's so weird, man, trying to figure out how, how to compare across these different leagues. Because, the you know, the format is different, and the competition is different. The incentives feel different. I mean, you know, you've got DJ played a nice round today to get himself to 32nd. He's someone that people had been talking about for a live spot. Patrick Reed, 
37th. You know, people had been talking about him. Brooks Kepka, 41st. Um, after just having a kid, he's he's likely on the team. It's just weird. It's like, and we are such prisoners of the moment this time of year also. And then trying to weigh, okay, how do you gauge long-term performance versus the hot hand? It's strange. What I think maybe is misperceived, like there's there's this gap between tour <laughs> pros and what they believe and perceive and then what like media uh, understand. I think there's a gap between like what form matters, like if that's the topic, like does does your form two weeks ahead of a tournament like portend anything about how you'll play in that tournament? Um, how many weeks of good form matter? Uh, does winning a tournament in July mean more than winning a tournament in June? All these things are just like swirling in our heads and we have a really hard time of of understanding like what they actually mean but like if you just look at the numbers bryson beat brooks by 20 shots this week (laughs) over three rounds not even four rounds 20 shots he beat taylor gooch this other person that live fans and and live players would like to see in the Ryder cup he beat him by 10 shots this week like it's a performance that has to raise eyebrows is kind of the point i'm getting to yeah entering this week he was only 41st in data golf's rankings which are pretty good. I think that there's potential that data golf kind of under ranks guys that haven't played as much. And Bryson has had a little bit of a lighter schedule, but all right, let's make the quick case for Bryson. Here are his finishes since May uh, when he finished T five at Tulsa and then showed some form there and followed that by finishing T four at uh, the PGA championship. Then he finished T nine at live DC T20 at the U.S. Open, very respectable. Second at Valderrama, which is not, which like Greenbrier is not a course you'd say, oh yeah, bombers only. Um, And then, you know, T11 at London, T60 at the Open. It's been a good summer. T60 at the Open's not, yeah, not particularly overwhelming. No, it's it's been a good summer. It's not good enough. Like if we are making that decision, it's not going to be good enough. How could you choose him over uh, a person who's who's making those results on the PGA Tour? Um, but it's just another thing for Zach Johnson to think about. He's playing and, consistently like, well again, and he wasn't for a while. So I guess that is a yeah. that's something we can all agree on. And then I guess whether, all right, for for. However long the European team every year was basically looking for its horses to play well enough to justify picking them, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. like, oh, who's in who's in the finest form right now? It was okay. Is Sergio playing well enough that yeah, we can make a spot for him on the team? Is Ian Poulter playing well enough that yeah, we'll slide him in? That's sort of the spot that Justin Thomas is occupying right now because he's been this good, because he gels well with you know, everyone on the team. That's what Zach Johnson's looking for. All right. Is this enough to justify putting him on the team? And I'm not saying that's because they're like buddies. I'm just saying that's, that's how team chemistry kind of works. That's how it works when all this stuff is super nebulous and it's team, team golf and form in golf is really hard to predict, but at the biggest events, you want the biggest guys. So I kind of don't think it quite is, but I also don't think Bryson is, 
I think if Bryson had established himself as someone that you 100% want to leave a spot for, then maybe this is a stronger case. But yeah, again, I don't think it's quite enough. Someone's got to make this team, I Uh, guess, though. Now, the thing about Bryson that I would like to discuss, and I think I'm going to write about this um, for the website tomorrow, is that one of the first things that I talked to tour players about after the surprise merger uh, you know, of, of business interests between the Saudi PIF, Live, the DP World Tour, and the PGA Tour was that how do we decide like, which guys come back to the PGA Tour if they want to? How do, how do we allow them back? Um, and if this is a for-profit entity, like, we want them back. That's the thing. Like, if you are running a for-profit tour in which you are trying to get um, sponsors for everything, potentially private equity interested. You are trying to make as much money as possible and players could potentially have equity in the tour. You want Bryson involved. He's, he's younger than 30 years old. He's a major champion. He has an, an insane social following. Uh, he is an entertainer. He plays golf differently than almost anyone on the entire planet, and he's won a lot. You want him on your tour. You want him like making money for the tour. You want him competing against Rory McIlroy potentially in a final round. Like, so how do you lay out the red carpet, or not the red carpet? How do you lay out the path to get him back on your side? Because he's not right now. He's he's hawking Crusher's GC merch left and right. And he's probably shown less interest in getting back in good graces of anyone on the PGA Tour than maybe, say, the likes of Brooks or DJ. I think it really matters if Bryson's going to be playing golf at this level, not doing it on the PGA Tour. You've hit on a few things there that are that are all confusing, but like are going to get figured out in the next few months. And I think one thing that really no one seems to know is whether this deal is actually going to get done or if we're going to go back to uh, two different train tracks kind of going in parallel but getting slightly further apart as time goes on. So the top live guys seem pretty content, right? They they don't seem eager to come back and play the PGA Tour. Um, That's what Phil has said, that's what John Rahm has said. That's what some of these guys have sort of made clear. I think one of the biggest issues is still going to be like, look, in these negotiations, when there's nothing clear, the nego- like the what's on the table is going to keep shifting. And so this idea mm-hmm. that, okay, yeah, Jay and the tour are going to have complete control over live. Like I think that's going to be a central tenet of what is being negotiated. And I'm sure that as Yasir is spending more time around live as the year goes on. Yeah. He's probably hearing from some of those guys that, yeah, we'd like this thing to continue, not just in 2024, but beyond that. So I guess that's one thing. Um, I just, so I just don't know that it's that certain that, these guys are going to get back in the fold. But what does it look like if they what does it look like if they do? 
I don't know. Again, I think it's like I just think there's going to be a desire to to get them back. Well, in. It, like, totally. I mean, it makes it makes way more sense on a macro level. I think that's why uh, some people were like, "Yeah, this makes sense. Let's let's like stop the lawsuits." It's it's not like fans should really care if the leagues are suing each other. Like that doesn't really matter except in the way that it affects them at home. So mm-hmm. yeah, look, you shouldn't really, you shouldn't personally care if one league or another league is losing money in legal fees. It's more just like, okay, well, theoretically, you at home don't want to see two completely different leagues splitting up the talent at the top of golf. It's just, it's like too niche a sport. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense yeah. that today, today there is one golf tournament going on that is being. Uh, tape delayed on the CW and streamed on an app in the morning. And then another, well, and when now, which is even more perfect, that it's it's suspended. Um, but they're, they're basically supposed to go head-to-head. Neither one is finishing in the window it was expected to. There are other tours and other leagues playing at the same week. Like, there's enough golf. It doesn't make sense for there to be the two big men's leagues going head-to-head. But it seems increasingly like that is maybe something that players on both sides want. So I don't understand how that resolves itself yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, I, I guess I just think there are, there's always been 15 really good golfers playing for live golf, maybe as much as 20. And, um, there have been moments where it felt like the PGA tour was lacking those guys. And I guess today felt like that to me. Is what you're saying basically like today was a reminder that like Bryson is one of the dudes. Bryson is yeah, one of the dudes so. that like moves the needle because with yeah. some of this live stuff, I was amazed at how quickly the world could forget about some people. Patrick Reed really disappeared from the, from our collective consciousness for a little while. I feel like, um, yeah. And there's some other, like even Brooks when he wasn't playing well, like DJ just doesn't really get thought about very much. Um, it's amazing how quickly we move on to kind of the next guy that's playing well. And even, even when you think about Will Zalatoris, like he was playing golf on the PGA tour this year in 2023, he was like an established guy as recently as this year. It feels like a long, long time ago that he was, uh, playing golf. Like we move on quickly, but yes, I fully agree. Bryson, when he's playing well, and Brooks, when he's playing well, like they were, those were two of the top newsmakers in all of golf just a couple of years ago. And they were very central to the messaging of the PGA Tour. So I think that the PGA Tour, yeah, it keeps getting talked about as a product. And that product is much, much stronger when you have those guys involved. Yeah. And I, I guess the last addendum to that point is just I think, I think players will care about it. I think... I think guys on the pack will care about the product more than they ever have before. The policy board will care about the product, and they are still pissed about the idea of being sued by the likes of Bryson DeChambeau. But uh, ultimately, all these dudes are just com- competitors, and they want to win against everyone. They want to. They want to know that they're they're winning on the best tour in the world, winning the tournaments that the best players are playing in. So I don't know. It, it just, it will have to get resolved in a way um, or else we'll like the narrative surrounding 
live will uh it'll be tough to understand like the meaning of it all yeah into perpetuity we've got a few months tiger entering negotiations is is interesting because if you know if what people say about yasir is true that part of what he's looking for is this seat at the table is this clout is this sense of being part of the important conversations having tiger there seems like that would be something that he would respond positively to so assuming tiger is now on board with trying to get this deal done which is a bit of an assumption um but i think he's at least interested in seeing if it makes sense then yeah I think that that's that's probably a sign that it would happen. It's just there's a lot of unknowns, Sean. Maybe making yep. that making that far too clear. Who's the player of the year right now? I guess I'm old school. Like I, I still think pitcher wins matter when you're evaluating a guy <laughs> like for the Cy Young. So I guess it's John Rom. That would make you that would make you old school in a bad way. No, no, no. I, all right, so here's the thing. I think that the advanced stats are good at measuring, uh, are better at measuring sort of the baseline that you played at or in in the baseball example, like who a better pitcher what, like is going forward and was. But I still think at the end of the day, it's sports. It's a results-based business. If you told two players at the start of the year, Hey, you can put up insane strokes gained numbers and you can rack up all these top fives and top tens. And then you tell, and you say, or you can win a few times, including the freaking masters, um, a few PGA tour events. Like it's just sort of pretty clear at the end of the day to me, I guess that John Rahm and his accomplishments outshine Scotty Scheffler, even though Scotty Scheffler has been, a better baseline golfer very clearly is yeah. that fair so the the no it's definitely fair it's an opinion the 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 rom stats are four wins one of them a major he won in hawaii he won in la at the genesis he won the masters and the amex yeah so like all these things happened in the spring uh and even the winter time um scotty scheffler wins in phoenix designated event wins the players a month later mega mega event not a major but it's the players um and as far as your results based pitcher comparison i mean he he had more quality starts than john rom did 19 straight top 12s like, he had some nice podiums too which i'm a huge huge proponent of so i mean there's a strong yeah. case he had the, he, he got the bronze at the u.s open uh you get the silver at the pga he did win the players, and he won the Phoenix Open, which are are nothing to sniff at. Yeah, I think I guess I would I would vote for Scotty because I thought it was so impressive. Of course, across the entire season, um, I just I thought that every time he made a cut, which was every single week he played, it was like okay, so he's going to contend. <laughs> he's just going to yeah, and it it he just crept up the leaderboard every single time he played and that type of existence that um the weight that he held on a leaderboard i think is the thing that pga tour players looked at they looked for his name on the leaderboard crap scotty's playing well he shot 64 on saturday gosh now he's in the you know the penultimate pairing on sunday we gotta worry about him his 
his like gravity felt more significant. Um, God, I, I mean, his 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 numbers are insane. <laughs> Even the T twenty three at the Open was like. At no point was he ever a factor in that golf tournament, but that leaderboard gravity, it was like Saturday, Friday, he should he had no business making the cut. He got up and down from a bunker on 18 to make it on the number and then didn't play well Saturday. Was, you know, looked kind of off during his warm-up and, and just seemed like a complete non-factor. And then I think shot the round of the day on Sunday just to like – Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, if you keep playing golf, this guy will eventually he'll sift <laughs> upwards in a significant way. And that's his worst result of like the year. He of all the players who made the cut in all the majors, he had the the best score. <laughs> like no one performed better in majors than him, and he just didn't happen to have his name atop any of those individual leaderboards. So he would get my vote. I think unfortunately, you might be right though. As it stands currently, there are still three more tournaments. Uh, John Rahm is leading the FedEx Cup. He is beating Scotty Scheffler. And so he has a, a, a narrow advantage in terms of the strokes that are going to get doled out to these guys as they go to East Lake. So much can change. Um, if you win the FedEx Cup, that still tends to be a really big deal for PGA Tour players. And that's who votes in these things. Um, I, I just... I know that the like winning the FedEx Cup has been a huge deal in the past. It has helped swing people away from um, voting for guys who have fewer wins, and one of them being majors, right? Um, John Rahm didn't win Player of the Year a couple years ago when Patrick Cantlay was winning playoff events. Yeah, uh, Brooks Kepka did not win Player of the Year against Rory McIlroy when Rory came out and did not win a major but won the players and then won the FedEx Cup. So there's plenty to, to be decided, and I, I just think that players tend to vote with the FedEx Cup, and they vote with wins. So yeah. you're probably right as it currently stands. We'll see if Scotty's still hot. It, it is a little bit muddled. Like There's some marks in each category for sure. Because Scotty won. It's the PGA Tour Player of the Year. It's not like you know. there's a different thing that the golf writers vote on that is uh, – yeah, I'm not suggesting has more credibility, but uh, but but would take the majors into greater account than the way the PGA Tour lays it out, which is yeah. gonna which is gonna pump up the players, relatively speaking, which Scotty won, and probably um, put less less emphasis on the majors. Other topics that we should discuss uh, very quietly: Celine Boutier has won back-to-back tournaments on the LPGA Tour. She won the Evian. A week ago, that's a major, and then she won this week at the Scottish Open. Two very different golf courses, two very different scenarios. Now she goes to Walton Heath, an even more different golf course in a different country down near London. Um, hottest player in the world, kind of, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she – see, I did like a little photo shoot with Celine and Danielle Kang at the start of the year, and that was my first time – spending real time with her and so i kind of was you know we, we did like a chipping lesson together she's got a strong short game um but i, I was kind of keyed in on her season after that and it was it was fine it was solid but then suddenly just ramped it up it, her win last week was so cool in france uh, a french woman the first uh the first i mean the only french golf major to have a French woman win that 
was super sick. Um, I think she's like under the radar, but pretty, pretty cool. Like she was, I was blown away by her, uh, I guess quiet confidence, um, her kind of clarity of thought around her career, how she approaches things. Uh, she was, yeah, it was her and Danielle Kang who was much more chaotic, I guess, by comparison. Um, but anyway, I hope she goes and wins the women's open. Cause that would be a really sick back to back to back. Yes, it definitely would be. Uh, what else should we talk about Dylan or should we let our viewers go for the week? No, I've got a couple questions for you. I think it's worth mentioning that the guy who has been most critical of the current FedEx cup format is the guy that is now, or the, the fact that it's going to get cut to 70 guys this week is also the guy that is currently tied for the lead. This is Lucas Glover and would stand to get in, get into that top 70. He started at number 112. He's projected if he wins, he'll get inside the top 50. Uh, but he has basically said, I don't get it. This seems like a bunch of baloney. Why are we cutting to 70? Why aren't we cutting to 125? Um, are you, you sympathetic? Are you sympathetic to his points? <laughs> Not at all. No. Not at all. Not at all. Lucas Glover's made 30 million in his career being a just few time winner. One of them, a very big win, right? The U S open at Beth page black, but, he has been a pretty average PGA Tour player for a lot of his career, and he's made a lot of money on the course from that. You know, He's made money off the course from it too, and the system has long benefited him more than it has benefited directly the best players in the world, people that are better than Lucas Glover, people that he beat that during that slop fest at Bethpage. Um, and it's not hard to show that. It's just not. You, you look at the actual like earnings that Phil Mickelson earned on the golf course and it, you know, it's three or four times. I think what uh, it's probably, yeah, three times what, what Glover has made, but like Phil's contributions to the sport, his contributions to the PGA tour, the value that he has provided for sponsors at the Pebble beach pro-am at the, at the Amex and putting people's butts in seats and selling tickets like his value is worth 30 or 40 times what Lucas Glover's has been to the tour. And so that is why there is a 70 and a 50 person cutoff for designated events and, and designated events with um, cuts and no cuts. Like all of it is trying to enrich the best like cream of the crop players on the PGA tour. And that's at least that's how I see it. It's like, these decisions are being made in 2023, 2022, 2024, because for many, many years, they have not benefited the Phil Mickelson's and the, you know, honestly, like the, the top 20 players in the world, essentially. And if Lucas Glover can't see that, I think he's being a bit purposefully blind to it. Yeah. I would agree. And I think that, uh, you know, I haven't really been spending much time on Twitter. It seems seems like it's gotten to be a sort of even more toxic place than it used to be. But I did log on last week, Sean, to sort of see the discourse around the tour's new schedule. Um, and some of it seemed wrong. 
and kind of misguided and I guess probably intentionally so because that's how things work. But the idea that, oh, the PGA Tour is copying live. They're having these limited field events with no cuts. Like, that's not correct. <laughs> I mean, nope. one, nope. all right, one, I'm glad that they're keeping cuts for some of these events. Two, I wish the fields could be a little bit bigger, you know, maybe closer to 90 instead of 80, but whatever. Um, three, they're having the cut right now. The cut is happening right now. Like there yeah, is it's a year long cut. It's extremely meritocratic the way these spots are being awarded. Yes, there will be some uh, some good old boys, some famous boys stuff happening with uh, what well, I don't know what it is four sponsor invites maybe to these events. So yes, yeah. there will be some people that get invited um, based off their name rather than uh, rather than strictly their play. But for the most part, the guys that are playing the best, are earning their way into these tournaments. It is a year-long grind to play well enough to get into these things next year. So yes, there will be, I guess, maybe a net change of like one. Maybe there's one cut, one fewer cut next year uh, on the PGA Tour. So it's certainly not a serious change, especially when you think about how the WGCs didn't have cuts. Um, so yeah, and meanwhile, I'm curious to see how this happens with Liv at the end of this year how the relegation stuff works. But, you know, a bunch of the captains are not playing particularly well, are not probably performing how you would expect they might. It's not like Phil Mickelson is going to suddenly lose his spot in live. Uh, it's not like he's suddenly going to not be playing these events. So it's just a different thing. And to suggest that they're the same, I'm not saying you shouldn't like live. I'm not saying you shouldn't go and enjoy and enjoy seeing like these top guys who are promised to be there. But one is really leaning hard on the idea that it's a meritocracy. And the other is just a different thing. It's a different business model. And to suggest that the tour is now doing the same thing, I think is disingenuous. Yeah, I mean, I think Lucas Glover, I'm not surprised that he's responding this way. But, it, you know, and people of his ilk have responded this way. We were talking to players as far back as uh, February when, you know, we were kind of deciding how many players will get into these designated events. Signature events, actually, is what they're going to end up being called. We need to commit that to memory. Yeah. Um, and... Like I think a lot of people were annoyed. Like God, why they're they're annoyed like Lucas Glover, but it's just the PGA Tour saying, "Hey, we've kind of rewarded 120 to 150 of you guys for a very long time, and now, like, the screws are kind of being put to us, and we need to really, really benefit 50 to 70, and that's just the way of the world right now. That's is what it is. It's a year long cut to what you said, so. Like, take it for what it is, yeah. Lucas Glover, and play play better in in May. Play better in June. And God, play he's better playing better January. right now. He's he's doing it. He's going ahead and doing the thing. So he might, he's going to end up in there after all, I think. But one really interesting thing that he did mention was like that they've done some audits that have suggested that sponsors are potentially like earning five million dollars instead of $20 million that they're being asked to pony up, like that they should really be only asked to pony up $5 million, which I'm guessing like the, you know, probably no one was thrilled that he was saying that, but I thought that was an interesting 
tidbit of like, geez, when we think about how much value these folks are deriving from being title sponsors and they're being asked to pony up a $20 million purse and Lucas Glover's saying, wait, it should only be five. I don't know, man. Uh, there's some warped incentives going on there somewhere. Like you probably shouldn't be, you probably shouldn't really be talking that part up. No. Well, and all it is to me is like the PGA tour has been forced to get really serious, like really, really serious about its assets and to look at if it was uh, stretching itself a bit too thin by having so many tournaments, by having the schedule have like a lot of emphasis or a decent amount of emphasis in the fall, like starting the FedEx Cup uh, 2024, two weeks after 2023 ends, like that's what we used to be in. We're not going to be in that anymore. So they've had to get very serious about the assets of these events and how they can continue to hold up the purses of these events. Um, and you're going to see it in the actual one that when the official schedule gets released this week, you know, there was plenty of reporting by Eamon Lynch of golf week last week, but we've seen reporting come out about sponsors and their interests over the past few months. Honda is out. AT&T it seems is downgrading from multiple events sponsored to just one. And, um, it would appear that CJ cup, right is now going to be like sliding into a more important spot on the calendar that like we're, it's a bit of downsizing and uh, it's a bit of efficiency making that the PGA tour is getting very serious about. And I just think that um, like truth serum, there's a lot of people that would say, look, Lucas Clover, you're just, you're just not the asset that other people are. And so certain tournaments are not the asset that other tournaments are. And, and we're kind of like, so just a little bit more obvious now. It's being said out loud now more than it ever has before. Well, Lucas Glover, I will say, can just roll the hell out of the rock right now. He switched putters. It's long putter season right now. Ben On is in the top three. Adam Scott is in the top six. Half of the top six, I guess, are rolling with the long boys. Um, Sean, happy playoff season. The regular season is... Well, we're still stuck with it about four holes from being completed, but I'm glad we didn't wait because uh, it's Sunday evening. I hope everyone, by the time they listen to this, has already enjoyed their Sunday evenings. Um, we love you guys. Do you have anything else to say? Yeah. I have a special happy birthday shout-out to Emily Dahl, the chair, Dylan's wife. 31 today? 32. 31. We would never talk about a woman's age on this podcast, but 31. <laughs> my age happy birthday emily all right sean we'll see you next week